Tonight, Canada's top cop resigns. The first woman to lead the RCMP steps down after a tumultuous tenure. Evaluating the commissioner's mission. There are a number of issues that were not dealt with. We've expected one human being to reinvent the organization. Brenda Lucky's stumbles and her strides. <laughs> Chaos as a racist mass shooter is sentenced in a Buffalo courtroom. I watched you kill my mom. You destroyed our lives forever. Life in prison for 10 lives brutally cut short. Plus, a vital route and a hazardous ride. We go on the ice sooner than we should, and we get off of it later than we should. Navigating Canada's northern ice roads, remote, risky, and the push for change. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. A Mountie who smashed the glass ceiling stepped down today after a series of controversies that cut away at her credibility. I will not have all the answers, but I definitely plan on asking all the right questions. That was Brenda Lucky in 2018 after she was named RCMP commissioner, the first woman to hold the job. In a statement today, she said, I leave knowing I did my best and take comfort that the RCMP is well-placed to shine. CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier on Lucky's legacy. Just last week, Brenda Lucky was appearing before a House of Commons Intelligence Committee answering questions about China. The musical chairs. And today, after almost five years at the head of Canada's largest police force, the embattled commissioner says she's quitting. This was not an easy decision as I loved the RCMP and have loved being the 24th commissioner. I am so incredibly proud to have had the opportunity to lead this historic organization. I would like to thank uh, Commissioner Lucky for her service uh, as, as commissioner of the RCMP. It was a historic appointment. Lucky was appointed with a mandate to bring change to a police force that had been under scrutiny for years. Several reports highlighted problems of sexual assault, systemic racism, misogyny and homophobia within the ranks. We've expected one human being at the top of the organization to reinvent the organization, and it would have been even more difficult for Brenda Lucky as the first female commissioner. And her tenure was a rocky one. There is going to be a lot of scrutiny and public scrutiny. Brenda Lucky's missteps and the calls for her resignation made headlines, including her initial denial of systemic racism within the RCMP. I'm just struggling with it because I've heard about five or six definitions. And she later acknowledged it and apologized. They just didn't have the capacity. And as the RCMP faced a public inquiry after the Nova Scotia mass shooting in 2020, she faced allegations she pressured her officers on behalf of the government to reveal the types of guns used. She was well-intended and unfortunately became um, uh, probably overly yanked around by public safety, by the minister. During the so-called Freedom Convoy, it became evident that the government was not satisfied with her overall performance, with tensions brought to light during the public inquiry into the invocation of the Emergencies Act. Lucky's last day as commissioner will be March 17th, but the quest to find her replacement likely begins right now. A top cop that can manage the reform of the RCMP. Omar? All right, Joyce, thanks.
The mayor of Toronto announced his resignation five days ago, but he still hasn't left. John Tory spent the day trying to get a budget passed in what became a chaotic session at City Hall. But even provincial and federal politicians are weighing in on Tory's future. Here's CTV's Heather Butts. Sir, are you reconsidering your decision to resign? Toronto's mayor was focused solely on a budget debate, now intertwined with his own scandal. John Tory hanging on to the top job five days after he said he would resign, following an inappropriate relationship with a former staff member. But his office later said he would stay on until his budget passed. Abuses power in front of all of our faces, spitting in all of our faces to have the audacity to show his face here today. The council chambers were cleared twice during the budget debate, with some protesters removed by security. The mayor said he's resigning. The sooner that happens, the sooner we can get on with the business of making Toronto a great place to live. Tory's allies now calling for him to stay on. It will be a disaster if he resigns. Uh, I think John Tory is the only mayor that could... Uh, move forward in the next four years. His budget was already controversial with a nearly $50 million increase to police funding, now even more so. With his strong mayor powers, Tory has the ability to push it through. The man who enacted those powers would like to see him stay. My opinion, uh, it's not time to change. Everything's going tickety-boo in Toronto. If a lefty mayor gets in there, God help the people of Toronto. A different take from Canada's deputy prime minister. He apologized for that mistake and he took responsibility by resigning. That was the right thing to do and that was the necessary thing to do. John Tory was just re-elected to a third term last fall and was on track to be Toronto's longest serving mayor. Now it's unclear how the city will proceed in a Toronto after Tory. Omar. All right, Heather, thanks. And late tonight, Toronto's budget passed and Tory submitted his resignation letter. His last day will be on Friday. Well, Toronto's red-hot housing market, like much of Canada's, has cooled as new numbers show sales hit a 14-year low, down 37% compared to a year ago. Here's CTV's Heather Wright. Canadian home sales have not been this low since the Great Recession in 2009, while home prices have declined for 11 straight months. We could be at the bottom if there's no further changes, um, but it's too tough to tell. The average price of a home dropped more than 18% in January to just over $612,000. Lauren Ha is the CEO of Zucasa and says there are several different factors that could impact both sales and prices going forward. So if interest rates stay flat and the job market stays buoyant, I do expect prices to level out, sales to come back. Since the Bank of Canada began hiking interest rates last March, the housing market has cooled significantly. The foreign buyer's ban and anti-flipping tax are also having an impact. And while prices are starting to increase in some areas, large parts of PEI, Ontario and British Columbia, continue to see declines, which could go even deeper. We actually expect a 30% peak to trough fall in house prices. An economist with Oxford Economics, Tony Stillo, predicts the market is only about halfway through its correction. You look at that in normal times, it's a housing crash. But in the context of a 50% surge in house prices, unprecedented surge during a two-year period during the pandemic, it's a necessary correction. There is also a push to build more affordable homes, which isn't moving fast enough, according to a report from Desjardins. 
Ottawa has a target of welcoming 465,000 new immigrants this year, but to keep pace, home building needs to increase by at least 50 percent. While sales and prices are down, new listings are starting to tick up. And realtors say they won't know the true extent of the housing market correction until the spring, which is typically the busiest time for buying and selling. Omar. All right, Heather, thanks. Police in a village north of Toronto are looking for suspects after a 65-year-old man out walking his dog was shot at 13 times in a drive-by. This is video of the suspect vehicle. Police say the victim gestured at the speeding SUV to slow down. The vehicle turned around and a passenger in the front opened fire, sending the victim to hospital fighting for his life. Anger boiled into rage in a Buffalo courtroom today as victims' families confronted a white supremacist sentenced for last year's mass shooting at a supermarket. CTV's Joy Malbin on the fate of a teenaged killer. There was nothing Peyton Gendron could say, sentenced by a judge who showed no mercy. You will never see the light of day as a free man ever again. Life in prison without parole for a crime driven by racist hate. Last May, the 19-year-old targeted black people at a Buffalo supermarket, trying to kill as many as he could, posting an online manifesto and live streaming his attack. I watched you kill my mom. I watched you on the internet. I watched you shoot her once, reload, and shoot her again. Wayne Jones and other family members spoke of pain and unimaginable loss. You came to Buffalo with hatred and anger in your heart. You terrorized a community, took the life of my best friend. The hatred that you must have in your heart for black people, I will never understand. Barbara Massey, her anger boiling over, ripped into Gendron, who took something so precious, her sister. Because I will hurt you so bad. <laughs> Just then, a man lunged at the convicted killer, chaos erupting in the courtroom, followed by shouts and sobs. No words, not even his apology could console them. I did a terrible thing that day. I shot and killed people because they were black. You don't mean none of that shit! City officials say it's too little too late, calling for a larger conversation in America about guns and online hate. We hope that knowing that he will never be free again will offer some small bit of comfort. This is New York's first federal hate crime charge. Gendron will face a separate trial. And by pleading guilty today, lawyers say it could help him avoid the death penalty. Omar? Joy Melvin on those dramatic moments in court and a dramatic crash in Alabama this afternoon involving a helicopter killed two people. Surveillance footage captured the moment the Black Hawk went down. I just hollered, my Lord, my God, because nobody could have survived that. U.S. military officials say those killed were members of the Tennessee National Guard on a training mission. Canada's chief of the defense staff says it could take time to retrieve the object shot out of the sky over Yukon on Saturday. Wayne Eyre tweeted, efforts to locate and recover what we can now characterize as a suspected balloon are particularly challenging in the remote, mountainous area with deep snow, risk of avalanche, and harsh weather. As for the suspected Chinese spy balloon shot down off the South Carolina coast earlier this month, U.S. intelligence officials are now assessing whether it was accidentally diverted off course by strong winds. 
A crucial transport link to move essentials into northern Manitoba by road is now open, and the doorway to that region of the province is a community, a 10-hour drive from Winnipeg, Norway House Cree Nation. CTV's Manitoba Bureau Chief Jill Mackishon traveled there and spoke to those calling for an urgent and permanent fix to winter road seasons that are becoming shorter and more dangerous. It's rush hour in northern Manitoba. The winter road season is now officially open. And Norway House Cree Nation is the gateway. To get here, you need to cross the Nelson River in summer by ferry, in winter by ice. Sometimes we take risks. <laughs> and risk meaning we go on the ice sooner than we should. And stay on it longer into spring. This is a critical highway for this region, but locals say the window between full ice and full water is drastically changing each year, leaving months where this route is inaccessible to the 8,000 people that call Norway House home. The chief wants a bridge. It shouldn't be based on how many people live in, the, in an area. Um, it should be based on safety. In Manitoba, there are more than 2,000 kilometers of winter roads passing through boreal forest over muskeg and lakes. This network brings building supplies, fuel and food to places usually only accessible by air. This one winter road links five communities and at the other end, seven hours away, is another First Nation calling for a more permanent fix. The winter road, as usually you, you'd see it was three, four months, but now we'd be lucky if we can get it to two months. We needed to have a permanent structure in place, like, uh, so let's like, just know where the road. So the time is now. A 2010 study estimated a permanent road into the most isolated Manitoba communities would cost roughly $3 million per kilometer, as opposed to the $9.6 million it costs the province to maintain the winter road network. The province has to come up with better solutions as well when it comes to uh, adjusting with climate change. We're going to have to look at all-season road access for these communities at some point in time. The province said it is working with the federal government to extend the road system, while communities like Norway House wait for that all-important bridge to span the gap that gives First Nations access many other Canadians take for granted. Jill Mackishon, CTV News, Norway House, Cree Nation. There are more astonishing rescues from the rubble in Turkey nine days after that devastating earthquake. This 42-year-old woman was pulled out after being buried for 222 hours. And this mother and her two children survived even longer, 228 hours. Today, investigators collected pieces of concrete and iron to determine whether they were built to code. The death toll now in Turkey and Syria is over 41 thousand time for a short break but when we come back producers stand here in peril the urgent sos from canada's struggling cannabis industry plus remembering hollywood star raquel welch There was a passionate plea for help today from Canadian cannabis companies. More than four years after the legalization of marijuana, businesses say they're struggling because of what they say are high tax rates and competition from the black market. And they want Ottawa to help. Here's CTV's Adrian Gobriel. The legalization of cannabis has resulted in one big buzzkill for Canadian companies. Canadian cannabis is in peril. 
Following the partial closure of an Ontario facility by Canopy Growth, one of the largest cannabis companies in the world last week, pop producers from B.C. to Nova Scotia arrived on Parliament Hill today with clear calls for legislative intervention to save an industry hemorrhaging jobs and billions of dollars. The time for action is now, and inaction can no longer be afforded, literally. Growers and producers say their slice of the pot pie is being inhaled by government taxes. For every dollar of revenue, every producer pretty much starts with only being able to collect 28 cents of that dollar. So 72 cents of that dollar is sent to a government agency in one form or another, much higher than the excise tax rates faced in both the tobacco industry and the alcohol industry. Though it's not just producers who are watching their potential profits go up in smoke. <laughs> we are the forgotten ones. Paul McHusey opened Moderna Cannabis in Toronto in 2021. He points to the provincial government's willingness to oversaturate the retail market as just one reason why pot shops across the country are closing by the hundreds while the black market thrives. So here alone there's 14 legal stores in walking distance and four illegal stores in walking distance. As long as someone wants to pay the fee to the AGCO to open a cannabis store, they'll take the fee. doesn't matter how many or where. The federal government is conducting a review of the Cannabis Act, though those speaking out say they need action now. Large producers and retail store owners both tell us they believe 2023 will be a sink or swim year for cannabis companies. Without major legislative reform, industry insiders believe we could see thousands of additional job losses and store closures. Adrian Gobriel, CTV News, Toronto. Growing outrage in eastern Ohio tonight from residents who are calling for more testing and compensation after a fiery train derailment released hazardous materials two weeks ago. They say they're suffering physical symptoms and fish are dying by the thousands in nearby streams. Don't tell me it's safe. Something's going on if the fish are floating in the creek. At least 10 cars were carrying substances like vinyl chloride, a highly flammable toxin that's a carcinogen. Still ahead tonight. Being no doubt, this is really hard for me. The first minister of Scotland has second thoughts about her job. The political leader who for much of the past decade has built the case for Scotland to separate from the UK declared her own independence today with a sudden resignation. Her departure coming just weeks after New Zealand's Prime Minister revealed she was stepping down. Here's CTV's Danielle Hamamjan. A hastily called press conference by Scotland's longest serving leader. Good morning, everyone. And a shock announcement after eight years in power. Since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. The first woman to ever hold this position said she'd become too divisive and too tired to reach across the political divide. And being no doubt, this is really hard for me. With a reputation for being one of the most eloquent politicians in the UK, indeed the world, we already have a Nicola Sturgeon devoted her life to Scottish independence. In recent months, however, she was embroiled in controversy over her government's contentious bill that makes it easier for people to change their gender. 
The debate intensified when a transgender woman convicted of raping two women was housed in a female prison. Are all trans but women women? That's not the point that we're dealing with. It damaged her popularity, though she denied today's decision had anything to do with that. I'm not expecting violins here, but I am a human being as well as a politician. It is rather the pandemic and the brutality of modern politics, she says, that have taken their toll on her. There is virtually no privacy. Even ordinary stuff that most people take for granted, like going for a coffee with friends. Bye-bye, Nicola. Bye-bye, independence dream. If and when Scotland's dream of independence comes true, it'll be without Nicola Sturgeon. Daniel Hamamjian, CTV News, London. After the break. The screen siren who ignited a generation of fans. Whether it was the small screen, the silver screen, or on stage, Raquel Welch always left an impression. She has died at the age of 82 after a short illness. CTV's John Venavelli Rao on her legacy. Her debut film was the 1966 sci-fi classic Fantastic Voyage, about scientists shrunk to the size of a micro. The fabulous Raquel Welch. But later that year, it was Welch's role as a cave dweller in one million years B.C. that bolted her to fame. More specifically, this publicity photo in a provocative outfit. And for her, it was an interesting thing because she says, I never set out to be a sex symbol. I never wanted to be a sex symbol. Welch has said it was the loveliest misunderstanding ever. At the time, she was a single mother of two and had no idea the studio was circulating the shot around the planet. I didn't know that this was the direction that the studio was going to have for me, and I had no idea. I thought this movie was going to disappear, you see. And, uh, no, I did. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, a caveman epic. Who cares? Captain Bainham. Raquel Welch had earlier made guest appearances on popular sitcoms. Born in Chicago in 1940, she'd wanted to be an actress since she was seven. And in 1973, won a Golden Globe for her role in the film Three Musketeers. I must go now. I'm a woman. She could also sing and dance, here performing with Cher in 1975, and went on to earn rave reviews on Broadway. She really was, you know, an all-round entertainer. She ultimately made more than 70 film and TV appearances, even as herself on Seinfeld. Aren't you Raquel Welch? And while GQ named her one of the sexiest women of all time, she proudly pushed back on producers who wanted her to pose nude. I felt it was an imposition on me. I felt like, I'm an actress, I'm here to do this role. I'm not here to do peep show. In a statement, a representative said she passed away peacefully early this morning after a brief illness, with plenty of tributes pouring in for an actress who proved to be so much more than what the studios initially wanted her to be. John Venavelli Rao, CTV News, Toronto. And that's a snapshot of this Wednesday for all of us at CTV National News. Thank you for watching and good night.